I'm Richard Lannan, rides with Canon, and this is the Glazing Insider Industry Podcast. Welcome to the podcast dedicated to the people of the glazing industry. In this episode, I talk to Faisal Hussein from DGCOS. In this conversation, Faisal talks us through his fenestration journey all the way from how he started to the position he's in today. So without further ado, let's get started. Faisal, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. How did you get into the fenestration world? In two words, by accident. That happens a lot. That seems to be the case with this industry. Um, I was at home one day and I got a call from um, um, from the um, business development manager of DGCOS, which I didn't know at the time. And he said, um, you've applied for this marketing job and we'd like you to come in for an interview. Um, and as always, as many people do, you when somebody says you apply for this marketing job, you go, oh, yeah, yes, yes, yes. And you've got no idea what marketing job it is, because you've probably applied for about 10. And then he said the words double glazing and ombudsman scheme. And I went, oh, that doesn't sound sexy. (laughs) And then he said, um, come and have an interview with us. So I I went for the interview on the Friday. And at that time, I was also studying for my marketing qualification. uh, So my CIM marketing qualification. So I had the interview with him. At the end of the interview, he said, uh, or I'd like you to meet um, the founder, Tony Pickup. And I was like, oh, when do you want me to meet Tony Pickup? Can you come on a Monday? And I, on the Monday, so because I was doing my assignment work for CIM and my qualification, and coincidentally, it was also our Eid celebration on, on Monday. I said, no, I can't come on Monday. He didn't quite like it, is the honest answer. <laughs> and I don't think he was used to saying people saying no. And... He said, no, you've got to come on Monday because Tony can't see you now until another week and we don't want to leave you another week and you've got to... And he convinced me to come on Monday. Uh, I, I walked out of there, wasn't happy because he convinced me to come on a Monday, but I thought, right. So anyway, so I, um, I came on the Monday. I had um, an, an interview with Tony Pickup. I was in the room waiting for him. He's, he's walking down the stairs. I can't see him. And then he comes through the door. And my first impression was a guy in a suit with a red tie. And I thought, who does he think he is, Donald Trump? (laughs) And then we sat down, we introduced ourselves. And then I think 10 minutes into it, Tony had a dog. And the dog was scratching the door from the outside because the door was closed. And Tony said, can I bring my dog into the meeting room, please? Because my dog's outside. And I said, no. (laughs) Because I'm not a big fan of pets is the honest answer. So um, I said no. And at that time, when I said no, I thought, I'm never getting this job. So Donald Trump is going to be saying I'm fired pretty soon. (laughs) So I thought, oh, well, here we go. I've come anyway, so I might as well make the most of it. And then as we got talking, he started talking to me about his journey, uh, about, you know, him setting up a trade association in 1996 and then setting up DDCOS in in, in uh, 2006, I think it was. And uh, he did a research into the double glazing industry, then did a pilot scheme between 2008 and 2010. 
what he was doing, he was launching DDC, DDCOS nationally after the pilot scheme. You know, he'd had private investment as well, over a million pound investment that he'd raised. And he really wanted to make a difference in the sector, really wanted to talk about consumer protection in the sector and and, and really um, try and add value to installers. And I was pretty much sold. And I remember they asked me about money and I said, whatever. <laughs> and and that was it. I got the call to say, you know, you've got the job. Do you, do you want it? I was like, yeah, of course I want it. And it was an opportunity for me to go into a sector that I've never been in before, to learn about it, to understand it, and uh, to work with somebody who was passionate about uh, the double glazing sector was unreal. And that's kind of where it started from. And, and the first year was a bit of a whirlwind is the honest answer where, you know, we were spending quite a lot of marketing to try to get our name out there, our branding out there. And, you know, and maybe during our early years, we, you know, from a PR perspective, maybe we said certain things that maybe we shouldn't have, where, where potentially organizations who had been in the sector for a very long time felt as though we were having a pop at them. We weren't. We were just talking about consumer protection because nobody was at the time. And it just kind of just spiraled from there, really. And the more you got into the sector, the more you kind of realized that this is no, this is nothing like ever you've experienced before. It's a world within a world. Yeah, the double glazing sector and all of a sudden you're sucked into this sector and you love the sector and you're embroiled in it and you're breathing it and and you know that when you want to talk about it you want to talk to you know industry professionals themselves and you want to talk to people operating in the sector about the sector and you're just hooked and and that was it really I never looked back since and you know we Myself and you know, I've I've had time away working in renewables. You know, uh, I operate a renewable scheme and I operate a general home improvement scheme. And I did walk away for about eighteen months to two years to set up a renewable business, but it was more on the certification validation side. Um, again, has members of its own, and I walked away. And then when I got the call. Um, towards the end of 2020, where Tony, who was the founder and still is the founder, and Richard, who was the chief executive at the time, both of them wanted to take a step back from the business. And, you know, they said, uh, we want you to come and run the schemes for us. And I was like, yep, that's fine. No problem. Easy. And, you know, there was no conversation about money or anything. It was... Uh, I'm going back to what I love and, you know, DCOS is kind of like so important to me on a personal level that I go, yeah, it was just an opportunity to come back and speak to installers I've been speaking to for the last 10, 12 years as well and help them in, really help their business and provide value. And yeah, it's like as if I've never left. <laughs> so you were there 2010. What did you do? So marketing, you started in marketing. What did you do? You know, what, did you stay in that role or did you? 
Yeah, so I, I was, um, at that time, I was in charge of the marketing. So I did anything and everything. And we had agencies, uh, PR agencies. You know, some of the, the trade mags will know me and um, from yesteryear. <laughs> and they'll understand that I'm, uh, um, I do like to negotiate. <laughs> some of That's them will always, always testify. They said, I do like a deal as well. So, so they know of me and 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 some organisations that we spoke to over the years, um, some colleagues uh, that know me really really well, and and I was in charge for um, a, a long time in in terms of the marketing, and then I kind of moved away from marketing and went into project management, and looked at the businesses in general and and help launch uh, new schemes. Um, so Heiss, I la- helped launch that, which in the renewable sector, and then Hicks in 2015. We also got uh, consumer core status for Heiss as well in 2015, and our project managed that as well. Um, so it, my, if you like, the knowledge that I, I had gained from the double glazing industry at that time, I used it in the other sectors, and it was v- very good for us, and very good for me as well, and... Now I'm in a, in the fortunate position of seeing things that happen in different sectors like the renewable sector, which everyone talks about net zero carbon by 2050. We don't really have a plan, although there are certain things in place, but there's no real delivery plan, if you like. And it's an opportunity for me to give back to the double glazing sector, to to see what I've what what I've learned in different sectors and to use that in the double glazing industry to really help our members and 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 again we're not precious about sharing knowledge and um you know we we want to do that I want to do that I believe a lot of people in the double glazing industry has have a lot of knowledge to share uh and that's why hopefully fingers crossed we can set up a fenestration working group where organisations operating within the sector can share best practice ideas. But also, we can demonstrate to organisations like the government all the good things that are going on in the double glazing sector. Because uh, I don't know about you, but it really, it's really disappointing when something like the Green Homes Grant Scheme launches. Yeah. And I know people have their positives and negatives, but you class double glazing as a secondary measure I know. and insulation as a primary measure. And then very recently, zero VAT status, insulation again gets it, but double glazing is not even spoken about. And that's really disappointing for me. So I'm hoping that with the introduction of the Fenestration Working Group by the end of this year that we can then develop a objective and a plan of communicating all the good things that go on in the sector but also sharing best practice. Absolutely. As soon as you mentioned that, the, that scheme, it was I was very much involved with that. I was in the front end, so consumers were coming to me and saying, and, and literally had about three Three. I was quite lucky. Three customers that really stood a chance of getting there, and they actually held off on their orders. Mm. And I, I compare it to people that ordered at the same time as them. Their items were installed 
before, and this was before supply issues and things like that, because it was just coming in. And it, it was a very, none of them got it out of the three of them because they were secondary measures and they didn't want to spend the money. And it was baffling. I mean, I made a video on this because it annoyed me enough. So I sort of suggested that if the government do have a chat like this, invite me along. And I sort of say, this is what happened to me firsthand. But ultimately, it was sort of, I assume someone would have crunched numbers on it to say, these are the most effective ways of insulating a home, insulating a property. And I couldn't believe that double glazing, you know, single pane glass is being left in place. uh, And then someone could, uh, it just didn't make sense to me. I I thought, yep, after the attic, once they're insulated, walls, maybe, uh, you know, even before the walls, go for the double glazing, at least, at least. Because, you know, even the two bricks (laughs) with a gap is doing a better job than a single pane of glass. It's just baffling. So I'm glad you mentioned that. And that's why I'm in full support of your working group, because it's definitely needed. Thank you. And like I said, fingers crossed, we can get a number of members. There's no limit on the number of members we have. They just need to follow the philosophy of what we're trying to do. And in a nice way, it's about leaving your egos at the door. And let's make a difference. That's what I want to do. So before coming into the fenestration world, what did you do before? Um, So my quite an eclectic mix really of experience so when I graduated I I was lucky enough to in my last year I came across a um, lecturer who was writing a book about marketing and he said read this chapter um, from my book so I read his chapter did he make you buy it uh, or did he no, give away free copies he gave free copies oh, that's yeah. good there, look. Um, so he said read this chapter about so I read the chapter and I said, oh, I understand all of that. I'll go into marketing. And that's kind of where my marketing journey began. And then um, when I graduated, I was very fortunate to enter into a graduate training program uh, by Business Link at the time. Right. And I went into a street lighting manufacturer. I was given the opportunity to launch their new brand, uh, which was called Vision um, at the time. And I think it's still called Vision now. Um, and basically what it did at that time in 2006, I think, was control your streetlights from your computer. Now, people might say that's easy now, but it was revolutionary at the time. And you could put it on timers, dimmers, everything. And I helped launch it. Um, and then after that, I then went into consultancy and I was a consultant for a marketing agency. And the consultancy was for SME companies who didn't have a marketing department and operated in the construction industry. So I worked across timber merchants, architects, you name it. I worked oh, brickies, man. everything, brick manufacturers, everything, uh, ironmongers, everything. And um, that really, really helped me uh, develop in the uh, in know a bit a lot more about construction. Then I actually uh, took a bit of a break. Then I went into um, uh, an office seating manufacturer. So I know a lot. I know a lot about seating. Yeah, I know. Oh, thank you. Um, and as my staff and my colleagues will testify, uh, they always get me to actually look at the chairs. So um, I've got different colleagues and everything, and they always say to me, "Oh, I'm looking at this chair. What do you think?" I'm like, "Nope, don't get that chair." And so I'm the chair expert. 
and before that, I actually, you know, I've had various jobs in factories and, and things, but my favourite job has got to be working at Tesco Express. And Brilliant. everyone who actually, when I tell people that's my favourite job, they always say, why? What was so special about Tesco Express? Well, I think everyone who's been to Tesco Express know that it's always associated generally with a petrol station. So, And it's open between 6 a.m. and 12 midnight. So myself and one of my very good friends, who's actually going into the double glazing industry now, at that time, I think it was 2004, maybe five, we were working the night shift. So our philosophy was we wanted to just relax as quickly as possible. So we'd come in at half past six and we'd work till midnight, but we'd just, being young and lazy, you just want to just relax as quickly as possible. So what we did was, our philosophy was to get all the work done. And what I mean by work done, I mean get all the, the stock out, get it on the shelves, and then the only thing you need to do then is just to serve the customers. So we'd get the stock out, get on the shelves by 8 o'clock, for example, and then we'd done our work, we'd done our job. Then all we do then is um, we'd used to just chill in the back. In the back. And then uh, the bell used to go saying there's quite, quite a lot of customers. We used to go out, serve the customers, and then we used to rotate because on the night shift there was a duty manager and three people. So the three of us used to just rotate uh, to give us equal chance of relaxing and, and, and taking it easy. And then at 11 o'clock, we used to do something called face-up. I used to do most of it because I used to love it. And it's basically bringing all the products at the front so it doesn't look empty, the shelves. And, um, yeah, kind of, we did that job for about 15, I did that job for about 15, 16 months. And I absolutely loved it because it was something, yes, you had to work hard, but, you know, we had various duty managers who came in and they'd kind of just handle the, over the reins to us and just go, all right, well, just go and do it. And we'd just go and do it and then just relax after that. And they didn't mind. But we got the work done. We relaxed at the same time. And plus my friend's very, very funny. <laughs> so it always helps. Yeah, definitely. If you can laugh at work, you're in the right place. We laughed a lot, yes. Also, I heard something once before. If you want something done efficiently, ask a lazy person because they will work out the quickest way of getting it done so they will get their time. And it's, it's, I don't agree with the, just labeling them a lazy person, but with, with that mindset, it was um, actually, it's a, I'm sure it was a productivity guy. And he said, I'm very good at these systems. And I created this system because I'm at heart, I'm lazy. I want to go for walks and walk the dog and do that kind of thing. But, you know, I want to get my work done as efficiently as possible. So that's that's very interesting. Uh, and I'm lazy at heart as well. I, my philosophy is, and I, and I try and, um, again, inform the team about it, is why take 10 steps when you, when you can take three and have the same impact? So um, just before you came, actually, I was talking to my team about that, uh, my accreditation team, because we've had an influx of uh, applications um, across all three schemes. And it was a case of, right, well, don't take 10 steps. Don't work it out. This is how we need to do it. and Take three. And it actually helps the staff as well at the same time, and provides them clarity and clear direction um, and you just get the same job done in the less time and it's more efficient. So with that in mind, is everyone sort of back in the office now or are you sort of hybrid or what's the sort of setup? Um, we're working hybrid at the moment. So we worked 
obviously during the, the the height of the pandemic, we worked from home, and then we started introducing people back into the office slowly. And now uh, we have a mixture, so we have some staff who work full time in the office, some staff who work hybrid, some who work from home and only come into the office. But generally speaking, ninety percent is just hybrid, so it's it's two maybe three days in the office, uh, and the rest of the time at home. The thing you mentioned earlier as well, the eighty percent working, that was quite fascinating. What can you explain that? Yeah, so my my philosophy really is that, and this goes back to actually a little bit about mental health and supporting and keeping our staff, if you like, in a good place. Um, so my philosophy is that I want every single staff member to be no more than 80% capacity or working to 80% of their capacity. And and the reason why is because that other 20%, I want them to either work on themselves, so personally develop, help their colleagues if need be, or just relax. And we're actually contemplating uh, and it was my idea, is um, we have a room that we don't use and we might be changing that into a relaxation room. Nice. Yes. Uh, partly because I quite like a relaxation room. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I've, I've said to quite a number of staff and they quite like the idea as well. And the idea is you're going to go in there, relax, no phones allowed, just relax. And and, and really that's, that's part of the well-being that we want. We want our staff not to be stressed all the time, not chasing their tail all the time. We want them to be in a good place. They enjoy the work. They feel they're making the difference. And if our needs of our business move, then we have the capacity for people to move with it. So, you know, if at ease, if you could say, somebody working full-time, they're working four days, and the other day they've got capacity to do something else. Uh, and that's kind of what my philosophy is. And And... That's what we're trying to do. So uh, it's difficult and challenging uh, in this current marketplace with finding it difficult to recruit staff. Uh, but I'm sure we'll get there. And, you know, the team have been absolutely fantastic. Yeah, they've had some demanding months, if you like, but they've been absolutely fantastic. And, and they know what the end goal is. And, and the end goal is really to actually get them in a place where, you know, they, they really enjoy the job. Um, they like they want to make a difference, and their workload is more than manageable. Well, it's definitely. I'm also thinking that pod as well in that room, if that's possible. That <laughs> just drifting off for twenty minutes. I don't know. I probably wouldn't wake up. But it, going back to sort of trying to employ people, it's definitely a selling point because people are looking for exactly like you said. You know, they're looking for more than just a salary. They're looking for more than just. They want to know that they're doing something good with their working lives and perks that go with it just sets you different to you know everyone else who's trying to recruit them yeah I, I think i think the what we do is i speak to anyone who's potentially looking to join us so i'll i'll speak to them through, during the recruitment process i'll have half an hour with them and i'll talk to them about our journey as a business my journey listen to what their journey is like talk to them about the job talk to them about our philosophy and our culture and our our culture really is about a team and we have four values and these values stem from the staff because we did about six to nine months worth of work on these values and 
I mean, they're not rocket science, but the four values are teamwork, communication, respect, and integrity. And what that really means is just work as a team, talk to each other, respect each other, and do your job with integrity and honesty. And that's it. And them are the four values, if you like, that we have in our business. And anyone who's working in the business or wanting to join our business needs to really believe in them four values and it becomes easy after that as well um i mean i mean you were here when um one of my seniors got me some what's it's yeah like what's it so <laughs> you know and it's things like that where you know everyone's a person here and nobody's a number they make a big difference every single person makes a big difference and they know that and because I tell them that all the time, but they feel it all the time as well. Because when they need us, we're there for them. Yeah, that's that's really important because I did spend some time at a big company and you were a number. You know, nice people there, don't get me wrong. We, you know, I had a great time working there, but you were a number. And then when I moved, albeit to my, my family's double glazing company, I noticed that there was that you, you are more like family, even if they weren't actual family. But the, the the thing that I really noticed was that the bigger corporation companies, they get with the departments, it tend to be the blame game. It was never their fault and they'd never own up. They would always, it's them, it's them. And it was just, but when you sort of move to a, a company that's more of a family, people will own up and say, no, that's, that was us. We, we know what we need to do. Any ideas on how we fix this? And you just, exactly right. You, you're a team. You're, you're working like a team. And it makes a massive difference in business. And I think your, your customers most importantly see that because you're not saying oh i'm sorry such and such didn't get back to you they should have and you know it's you know you just you step in and you you finish off you know you help them out obviously if they've forgotten something you just jump in and say oh no uh, you know i'm here how can i help yeah and i think that you just raised an important point them four values do actually extend to consumers installers and, and the sector itself that we operate in because consumers want to know that we're actually there for them and we're, we're trying to make a difference. Our members need to know that. When I started in 2010 in the double glazing sector, I said to an installer, I said, what are you looking for? He said, it would be nice if when I called you, you answered the phone. Wow. And I thought he was joking at the time. And it's only when I started speaking to a number of installers, they kept saying the same thing to me. And I said, oh, it must be an issue then. Yes, every time we ring certain organizations, they don't pick up the phone. So it would be nice if you picked up the phone. And I said, don't worry, we will pick up the phone. And you might not be able to see where you're sat, but if you look through this door, there's a massive screen. And at the top, there's all our lines. And if somebody's waiting, it goes yellow. If there's two people waiting in the queue, it goes red. And if nobody's waiting, it's green. So I always say to the guys, green is good. So I just look now and I can see... Green is good straight away through this door. Is that why there's that little hole so you could just see? Um, is that just worked th out? That that hole was um, really something to do with there was a a lion emblem thing that was there before, oh, but because we moved from that lion emblem, um, people who've known the DDCOS brand for a long time will know what I'm talking about. We moved away from that and we went to the circle, so therefore we had to get rid of the lion. But the lion was part of the family. Um, but yes, but uh, so if I hadn't asked that, I just thought you purposely put it in so you could see the screen. It's just a coincidence. <laughs> so 
the mentorship. How did you get into mentoring people? Um, so how did I get into mentoring people? When I had my first marketing job, I was actually mentored. Right. So I was mentored during my first marketing job for many months. And then I was going to leave that business. And then my mentor at the time said, come and work for me, for my consultancy. So I said, okay, I'll come and work for you. Um, because I wanted to work more from home at that time. Um, so I said, yeah, I'll come and work for you. And I worked for her for about 12 to 18 months. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me because she accelerated my learning, you know, by a number of years. Because what I learned in them 12 to 18 months, it probably would have taken me five to 10 years. Uh, and then, you know, over the years, I've been lucky enough to be come across really good people. So obviously, I came across Tony. Tony mentored me um, in terms of double glaze and things like that. And, um, you know, Tony came from a sales and marketing background. So it was quite an opportunity to learn from him. Um, and then Richard Christie, the, the chief exec, um, previous chief exec, he mentored me for a number of years and still mentors me till this day uh, because I always tap into, and Tony and Richard are not involved in the day-to-day -day business, but whenever I need them, I'll give them a call uh, and they're always there on hand and they still mentor me and there's nothing wrong with that at all because um, you always need people to tap into. Um, so I've always valued being mentored and then I thought if I can pass that on to people and and or one person even, then that would be really good. So over the years, I've mentored people who have managed directly, who have now gone on to do bigger and better things, if you like. Um, and, you know, I've mentored uh, generally marketing people um, who don't work in the sector at all. Um, so who have, uh, they could work in different sectors. Um, in particular, the, the the last one that I mentored, if you like, um, um, she works in more of um, redevelopment, so commercial and retail redevelopment. Um, and, you know, I'm always around whenever she needs me. And that's kind of, the ment being, being a mentor is all about what do you as a mentoree want to get out of it? I don't have the answers. I'm just going to help guide you. And that's kind of what um, I've been doing. And it's um, it's very satisfying when um, the mentoree says to you, I don't need you anymore. Oh, brilliant. It yeah. sounds quite strange, but yeah. they say, I don't need you anymore. And I'll ring you whenever I need you. Because it just means that you've kind of, done what you what they wanted really what they wanted to get out of it you've you've helped them achieve it and it's them they've achieved it not us and and not me you know i've helped guide and they've achieved it and they should be incredibly proud of whatever it is they want to achieve um, and then you might get the odd call and text message saying i've got this problem what do you think and then you'll have a chat and catch up as well at the same time so um you know i've valued it and it's helped me in my working life and I've been, you know, incredibly lucky to come across some fantastic people. Um, and I still come across fantastic people. Um, and if I can pass that on to, for, to somebody else, then yeah, I'm making a difference.
Brilliant. That's quite a journey. That's quite a journey. So in all of that journey, is there a low point that sticks out for you? Uh, I think the low point has got to be realising that there's a mental health problem in the sector and speaking to that installer who I've known for over 10 years. That's really the low point where you feel quite powerless that you, at that time you feel quite powerless that you can't really do anything apart from do the obvious, which is I'm here, I'm supporting you. Do you want to talk? Don't worry about my order. Just do whatever you need to do. Um, But hopefully from every low point, you get an opportunity to actually do something better and good. And um, if we can develop a mental health toolkit, develop... um, access for our uh, for any installer actually not just for our members but for any installer to access mental health documentation guidance or they know where to go to or it encourages other organizations to to do something similar then i'll be very happy brilliant and then the flip side of that is there a high point that sticks out for you uh i think the the high point has got to be in uh 2010 so in eleventh of November twenty ten, we held a conference, DDCOS, and we had over um, ten, eleven sponsors who were exhibiting around there, and we had over three hundred and fifty people attend. Wow! And and really, that conference was us summarizing what we've done to the industry, uh, talking to the industry about what, what we've done and what we're looking to do in the future, and. It was, it was basically DDCOS cementing that um, it's in the industry and it's going to be staying for the good because uh, previous to that we did have we did have a few comments and remarks that we're only here for the short term and we're going to be in and gone. And obviously, fast forward twelve years later, we're still here. We're going strong. We're still supporting our members. And that was a really a defining moment for, for us and, and for me. And in particular, because I spent six weeks not sleeping <laughs> um, doing that conference. Um, and everyone fed back and said they were really, really positive about it. And yeah, I went over budget by a long shot, but we won't mention that. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that was a really important point for, for us and for, for me as well in particular. Um, so that's always stayed in my memory, if you like, as a high point. Fantastic. Well, it, it certainly, that's that's quite a feat, really, because I, I admire anyone that can put on and bring together people like that, because it's it's not an easy task. Um, it wasn't easy, and I just, I didn't do it by myself, by the way. Team Tor- effort. Tor- Tony helped me quite a lot, and it was a massive team effort across the the whole different departments as well at the time. But it was a, it was a fantastic day. I mean, it would have been even better had it not been for the fact that the two motorways on both sides were closed. So we had, um, when we got back into the office, we had a number of answer form messages from our members and from installers saying, I'm really sorry, I can't turn up. I'm on the M6. I'm stationary for two hours. I can't move because they've closed the motorway down. Or there's an accident. And so, yeah, so, um, you know, the people who turned up, thank you very much. The people who contributed, the likes of Tom Emerson, Nick Dutton, you know, we had Nick Ross, who was our spokesman at the time, and he was there, he was presenting as well and and running through. So, 
quite a number of Chris, the two Chris's that prefix. Um, you know, we had quite a number of people who came and supported us. And uh, from my point of view, we will always remember that, if you like. And uh, we know we still have good relationships with them. Brilliant. The last question, which uh, is, I, I could describe it as a spanner in the works, but uh, of all the people you know in the fenestration world, if you had to spend two weeks on a desert island with one of them, who would it be? That's quite a tough question. It is. And I don't, I don't really know. I think from, from my point of view, I always want to speak to people who I can learn from and innovators who you actually think that, wow, didn't see that coming and how they can innovate all the time. And, I, you know, I've been lucky enough to spend 10, 12 years with the likes of Tony and Richard who have helped helped me a lot. And, you know, and then I've always been a big admirer of somebody like Nick Dutton who, you know, when I was in the industry, there was, you know, he was running Doorstop at the time and then he moved on and run other, other organisations and now he's, last time I heard he was running Ulshan um, and he's always looking to innovate and develop and, and for coming from a marketing background, I've always looked at his stuff going, wow, that's brilliant. But then you've got, you know, the likes of, for example, Matthew Glover, who started, uh, you know, when I started, he was doing the blog, Renegade Conservatory conservatory guy. And then he he launched the Fit Show with, with Paul Godwin. And, uh, and now he's, um, you know, he's got his... Uh, Mr. VFC. Yeah, he's got yeah. VFC, yeah. So he's moved into that area now. So, uh, and again, you know, all these guys will, and there's many, many more people who I'm sure have got fascinating stories of their journey. And, uh, you know, it's always a pleasure to listen to their journey and to, to learn from it, to understand and go, wow, didn't realise that. And, you know, I've only mentioned them too, because that, that, that's what I can think of, but there's many, many more people in uh, in this sector who have, um, you know, the two Chris's at Prefix, you know, they've been in the industry for a very long time as well and, you know, and really helped Prefix move it forward. So there's, there's loads of people that you'd, you'd want to tap into to get their knowledge. Um, and, and, you know, I'm sure there's people out there who have, if you like, retired from the glazing sector who can, really you can tap into it and go tell me how it all started tell me what you did and tell me the problems you had and the challenges and what you did and why you did it and um so there's probably an endless list with them or a couple of people that i'd, I'd want to tap into you've just given me an idea now maybe we should have uh you, you said rent an island and get everyone on there the, the, the amount of <laughs> information yeah. that could be exchanged and the ideas that would be forming would be, well, be a good place for a working group really that's I, exactly yeah I mean I'm hoping that that's what that working group can do is um, share ideas share best practice yes on paper we potentially are competitors but I'm hoping that everyone can just leave that at the door and, and share best practice and share the good things that are going on, share the bad things, share th things that we can improve on as an industry and, and really promote the industry to the outside world, if you like, of this is all the good things that are going on in the sector. 
So I'm hoping that's what that fenestration working group can do. Brilliant. Faisal, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you for having me. And uh, I'm, I'm sure you'll be on again at some point. There'll be another phase to this. So uh, keep in touch. I will. Thank you very much. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. That was a great conversation with Faisal. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you'd like to hear more conversations like this one, consider subscribing. Otherwise, thank you for listening. Until next time.